Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning, sir. Hey, welcome to uh, welcome to Moran Park. My name's Chris. One of the teachers here at uh, at Moran. Um, Hey, it's Sunday morning. We get to worship the King. So welcome to our, welcome to our group uh, this morning in our worship. Um, one announcement that I want to make um, up front is that just a friendly reminder uh, that our Christmas, of course, is a, is a Sunday this, this year. We are actually going to be closed on Christmas Day. Sunday morning, we will not have a formal worship service. Uh, though there will be some people gathering here informally, probably in the prayer room, uh, no doubt, for some time together. But we will have a service on Christmas Eve. So Christmas Eve, Saturday, 6.30 p.m., we will have uh, a candlelight service uh, here in the sanctuary. So just make a note of that. Christmas Eve service, Christmas Day, no service uh, on Sunday morning. All right, well, it's the second, uh, second Sunday of Advent. Advent just means coming. Of course, Advent uh, season, there's the, is the first is the four weeks of Sundays leading up to Christmas. Uh, we tend to celebrate, churches tend to do it a little bit different, but the four, four virtues or the four characteristics of peace, joy, uh, love, and hope. Last week we did uh, hope. And I'm going, with, uh, I'm going with peace this morning. Maybe that's not your tradition, but I'm going with peace as the second Sunday this morning. And I wanted to read from you as our call to worship and as a reminder that it is the Advent season, um, two stanzas of the Christmas hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So for our call to worship this morning and for Advent this morning, two stanzas from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Listen to these words. Just Bible saturated. Mm. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free your own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell, thy people save and give them victory over the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Let us worship Emmanuel, the king. Mm -hmm.
Give you thanks. 
Well, be ready in season and out of season to uh, preach the word because uh, Simon was supposed to be preaching to you this morning, and Simon unfortunately is sick. Um, got the call, I got the text just before noon yesterday um, that he's been laid out in bed since Tuesday. So please pray for Simon, um, pray for full recovery, and uh, yeah. We continue our series in the study of the Gospel of Matthew this morning. So I'm incredibly excited to uh, deliver this uh, to even though the text is sobering. Um, this is the delight and the joy of walking through a biblical book, and this is precisely why the elders, uh, in part, chose to do a, a series and a walkthrough through a biblical book, is that you preach through texts you wouldn't normally choose to preach, right? You're forced to walk through the whole counsel of God and not just get to pick the texts you like. Uh, we all have our favorite texts. We all have our go-to texts. We all have our uh, texts that get us really excited. Um, you can preach those only for so long without preaching the whole counsel of God, and that's exactly what's happening uh, here this morning. This isn't something I've ever heard preached before, and it's not, nothing before that I have, have preached but if we want to hear God's heart on everything, we need to preach the whole counsel of the Word. I'll introduce this just by sharing a very, very briefly. Um, it was the 46th, unfortunately, the 46th mass uh, shooting uh, of, the, of this year. Uh, it happened on October 14 uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina, where a 15-year-old boy... Uh, I believe it's Andrew Thompson is his name, just started walking down the street randomly shooting and murdering people. He started in a neighborhood. First victim was somebody that he, somebody was talking on, the, on their cell phone on the, on the front porch of their house, uh, shot her dead, and then continued to walk to a walking trail uh, in a park uh, just uh, outside of Raleigh um, and shot four more people. Uh, including a, a police officer, uh, dead, and another 16-year-old uh, boy. All the articles, um, and now this happened six, eight weeks ago, all the articles have said, motive unknown. Nobody knows yet, and we've got not gotten an update on this, on this news, uh, on this story, uh, in terms of why he did what he did, Right? Um, why did this 15-year-old boy just start walking down the street with I don't know what kind of gun and just start shooting people dead? We don't know the motive exactly, but we can, we can guesstimate, right? Something going on inside. Some sort of turmoil, some sort of rage, some sort of simmering anger, some sort of um, maybe isolated, maybe lonely, uh, maybe, maybe bullied, maybe who knows, right, what the story is behind this story. But something on the inside wasn't right, and it erupted in five dead. The young man's now in critical condition in the hospital, and uh, as I read this morning, uh, for an update, he is preparing to be arraigned as a, an adult and to be tried as an adult for five murders. That brings me to my text this morning. 
Let's set it up with a little bit of literary context. We just last week talked about the righteousness. This is Matthew, this is Matthew 5.20. Uh, put that up on there. Um, we just read about Jesus coming to fulfill the law and the prophets and coming to bring about a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. And without this righteousness, this inward, new covenant, spirit-wrought, kingdom righteousness, that's a work of divine grace in the human heart, never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus comes to fulfill that story, right? The epic story of Scripture is coming to its climax because the long-awaited king, the Messiah, has arrived, Jesus. And he's coming to fulfill that epic story and to create a faithful people for himself, a, a faithful Israel for himself who, unlike the Old Covenant Israel, will, find, will be faithful, will produce this, will become truly human, will fulfill all righteousness, will, will have righteousness flow out of them, out of the heart. Just like we saw last week with the promise of a new covenant. God's going to write the law, not on two stone tablets, right? That's, that's the Old Covenant. God's going to write his new covenant law on his people's hearts, and out of them will become will come new affections and become this inward righteousness. So that's where we were last week. That's, the, that's kind of the context. And now we go into our first text, which is actually goes from uh, Matthew 5, 21 to 48. If you, have a, if you have a Bible and you want to open it and just kind of see the context there. We get now these six, these six antitheses, they're called. Uh, did my, did my volume just change? Are we good? Are we all good? Okay. I just got louder up here. I have no idea why. We get, we get, these, six, we get these six antitheses. Uh, you have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, do not be angry, or do not murder, but I say to you, don't, don't get angry. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, don't even lust. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy. We'll be looking at these over the next six weeks. And the first one this morning is, you've heard it said, do not commit murder, but I tell you, do not even become angry. We'll look at that in full text in just a moment. So there's six of these. And then at the end of the six of these, at Matthew 5:48, we get a summary statement. We get a summary statement of these six antitheses. Uh, you have heard it said, but I say to you, it's Matthew 5, 48. Uh, it says this, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Literally, you will be perfect. You therefore will be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We're putting on the training wheels. We're learning to become perfect in this life just like our heavenly Father is perfect. It's not perfection overnight. It's progress over a lifetime, but yet... Those who profess to be disciples of Jesus Christ, perfection is the ultimate goal. Perfection someday we will be. Perfect we will someday be. And because the kingdom have come, has come, and because Jesus has come, and because the Spirit has come and filled us with, with himself, we can begin to live into this perfection. We can begin to live the life of the age to come, right? We can begin to live the righteousness, the, the new creation life here and now in this present fallen age. And so this is not, today this text is not how uh, we might 
please get ourselves acceptable to God. What do we need to do to be like, become his disciple? This is, this is a course um, teaching for disciples, for those for whom the kingdom has already come. So let's go ahead and take a look at the whole text. It's five verses. Matthew 5, 21 to 26. Again, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open that thing up. It'll also be uh, up above, behind me, on the screen. And this is kind of how I want to run this morning again. I want to kind of just walk us through the text. And then I want to just have some pastoral applications and some conclusions. So the first antithesis of the Sermon of the Mount. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry, angry with his brother, will be liable to judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, or therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come back and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the guard, and he be put into prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The word of the Lord. A sobering text, right? Uh, a hard-hitting text. Let's go ahead and take this uh, one by one, uh, step by step. It actually breaks down into four parts. Verse 21, and then verse 22, and then verses 23, 24, and then verses 25 and 26. So verse 21. Uh, Matthew 5, 21. You've heard it said to those... You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So let me just summarize. The law, the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, in fact, this comes from the Ten Commandments. This is commandment number six of the Ten Commandments. Paul, uh, Jesus just quotes it here. The law taught you shall not murder, and that murderers will be judged. That's what the Old Testament law teaches. You shall not murder, and that murderers will be judged. Now, you shall not murder is a quotation, but whoever murders will be liable to judgment is just a summary of Old Testament teaching. For example, Exodus 20, verse 13, uh, says this, and this is the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. We know the Ten Commandments, don't commit adultery on your father and mother, don't steal, don't covet. Commandment number six of the, of the Ten Commandments is, you shall not murder. So Jesus is just quoting that here, as I've said. But then elsewhere, the Old Testament teaches that a murderer must be put to death. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. This is not personal vengeance, but this is what the nation Israel in their court of law was to do with, with a murderer. A murderer was to be put to death. And this is based out of Genesis uh, 9, 5, and 6. For example, and for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man, from his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, 
By man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. We'll come back to this, but image-bearing theology, or people as the image of God, is the reason for why when somebody murders another human being, they must be put to death. We'll come back to that. Or take a look at Exodus 21, verse 12. The Old Testament teaches that a murderer must be put to death. Exodus 21, 12. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. Or Numbers 35, 20 to 21. Numbers 35, 20 to 21. And if he pushed him out of hatred or hurled something at him lying in wait so that he died, or an enmity struck him down with his hand so that he died, then he who struck the blow shall be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. So the Old Testament taught, thou shalt not murder. And Jesus summarizes what the Old Testament teaches here, that if a murderer, if someone does murder, that they themselves are to be put to death. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. In the court of law, justice must uh, be done in the Old Testament. There is no There is no reprieve or lesser offense for a murderer in the Old Testament. He must be put to death. So that's the Old Testament background for our text. But Jesus, then in verse 22, moving on in our text in Matthew, teaches that anyone angry with anger, the anger of disdain, hatred, or enmity, will be judged not just temporally, but eternally. Matthew 5.22. So you've heard it said, but Matthew 5.22. You've heard it said, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. I don't just think this is like name-calling, right? I think, this is, I think this is anger. This is three different ways of saying basically the same thing. This is anger with contempt. This is anger with disdain. This is anger with hatred in the heart. This is anger with enmity in the heart. Liable not just to temporal death, but to the hell of fire. I've heard, and I maybe even have said it, I hope I've never said this, but we've all heard probably something like, well, at least I've never murdered anyone, right? But have you thought about it? Have you, in disdain, been angry with somebody, in contempt, been angry with somebody and looked down on them? Wanting them, just saying, treating them like it would be better if you were just dead. That's what we're getting at. That's what we're getting at here. Jesus goes beyond, behind the act of murder itself to declare that the anger and hatred which give rise to that that anger, though not capable of being examined in a human court, is no less culpable in the sight of God. Or that is to say, put it another way, the root of murder, ungodly anger, deserves in principle 
the same penalty as the crime itself. It's saying, in effect, that the outward external act of murder is driven by a fundamental disorder of the heart that erupts into that murderous action and that it's the matter of the heart that Jesus is concerned about. First John, First John 3.15 says the same thing. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of this right here. It's a matter of attitude. It's a matter of disposition. It's an infection. It's a cancer. Root and fruit, right? Root and fruit. The fruit is that somebody's dead because you murdered them. That's the external action, but the root is here in a heart that's dark and capable of unimaginable horrors. I have met the enemy, or we have met the enemy, and the enemy is us here. And Jesus has come. Jesus has come to heal that. Jesus has come to heal that. But more on that in a second, because we're not done. Verses 23-24 is the next part of our text. And this is the inference, or this is the logical conclusion to what Jesus just said. The anger that leads to murder results in eternal punishment. Therefore, verses 23-24, what should we do? So, let me read it, Matthew 5-23-24. So, or therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, go. Go. Be reconciled to your brother or sister. And then come and offer your gift. Now, we've got to go back to the first century and think about um, their context. Jesus is writing to Jews. And every three, year, every three times a year, all Jewish males would need to travel to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices at the three great festivals. They would often bring their families. Uh, but if you were living up north in Galilee where Jesus is uh, delivering this, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, you, would, you had a long journey ahead of you, 80 plus or so miles, give or take, depending on where you're, where you're going. And it's usually by foot. Uh, the terrain is rocky. It's a special, it's a special occasion. It's a significant occasion. It's very special uh, for you to go to, say, celebrate Passover uh, in the spring. Take your whole family with you. Often you're, often you're going in a, in a throng, in a crowd on, on the path to Zion, on the path to Jerusalem. And then the highway, of course, 
of your trip, the highlight of your visit, is when you are sitting there in front of the altar and the priests are there and there's hundreds of people around you and you're about to give your gift that you've been waiting for months to give to the great king, the Lord. And you're about to, the priest is about to sacrifice it and you're about to lay your hands on that offering, that gift that you've been waiting for months to give to God as a devout act of worship. And you're just about to do that and you remember you remember that your brother has something against you. He has a grievance against you. What are you supposed to do? Drop it. You drop your gift at the altar. And you go get right with your brother or your sister first. And be reconciled. Why? Because this ain't right if this ain't right. Your vertical relationship with God is blocked if you have grievances, if somebody has a grievance with you and you have sinned against another person in your anger. You cannot come to God and say, I love you. Here's my worship. Bless me. He says, taps you on the shoulder and he says, I have this against you. You wronged your brother. You wronged your sister. You need to go get right. You need to make it right. And then when that's over, and you two are in right relationship, come see me. Our, horse, our vertical relationship with God is impeded when we have this with others. And this is connected tightly to what happens above in verses 21 and 22. Anger, enmity, disdain for another image bearer, contempt, pride that looks down upon another and passing judgment. And then you go to the altar and say, I'm good. Jesus, bless me. Our Father, bless me. You are in danger. You are in danger. You have cut yourself off from the living God. And it needs to be, you need to get this right before this can be restored. That's verses 23, 24. Verses 25, 26 gives a specific illustration. Number two. Therefore, and this makes a slightly different point, but ultimately similar. Let's go ahead and read that. Matthew 25, I'm sorry, Matthew 5, 25, 26. Second illustration. Because ungodly anger leads to eternal judgment, if it's unresolved, therefore, verses 25, 26, come to terms quickly, come to terms quickly with your accuser. Again, this is another person that has something against you for what you've done in your anger, in your ungodly anger. That's the context. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. He's, he or she has you and you're on your way to court. It's in process. And you're guilty. You owe. You're in debt. You've done something 
wrong to this person. This person is your accuser. The grievance is against you. You're the defense, and you're going to lose this, you're going to lose this court case. While you're still going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge hand you over to the guard, and you be put in prison, truly come to terms quickly with your accuser. Again, get right. Go to them. Humility, right? Say sorry. Do whatever it takes to be reconciled to them because you don't want verse 26 to happen. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So I think the idea is, again, therefore urgently come to terms with those whom you have treated wrongly in anger in order to avoid God's condemnation at the final judgment. our text. I must only speak what the Lord gives in his word. Some pastoral applications and conclusion. Some pastoral thoughts and conclusion. First of all, let's not lose sight of Jesus here. Who is this one that speaks with such authority? Who claims to be able to interpret the Old Testament scriptures rightly and bring out their true meaning and authoritatively teach that? Who is this? One who teaches with such authority. Two. Lying behind this text is image of God theology. Why does God take it so seriously that one human being might murder another human being. Or, even more fundamentally, right, taking the matter in the heart, that one human being might in disdain and contempt for another human being wish that person dead. Now maybe you never murdered anybody. But Jesus is dealing with the heart here. And why does he take it so seriously? Well, Genesis 9 and Genesis 1 teaches that everyone is made in the image of God. Every human being. Every person. And what that means is each person is God's very imprint. To see a human is to see God's very reflection. Is to see God's royal representative upon the earth. To see an image bearer is to see God, something reflected of God. And therefore, because God is invaluable, unbelievably invaluable, anything that rightly reflects Him is valuable. We are His 
images. We are His people. We are His royal ambassadors upon the earth, His representations, His physical his physical image. To hate an image bearer, therefore, is ultimately to hate God, whose image that image bearer bears. That's why God takes this so seriously. He loves us. We're his image bearers. And to attack his another person, his people, and to hate is to hate him himself. Those who hate God have no place in the coming new creation unless they repent and yield to his sovereign rule as their king because to hate God is to want to murder God if one could. To hate God is to want to murder God if one could. And since you can't murder God, you take out on his image bearer. And actually, since Jesus is incarnate deity and he was put to death on a cross, I guess we did murder God. Image of God theology. That's why God takes this so seriously. Three, very practical application. Is there anyone you know that you have wronged or treated angrily with contempt or disdain or enmity or in hatred? Perhaps an arrogant pride, passing judgment over them as if they were, you were God, and you were sinless yourself. This is a hard. And it's further complicated, right? Because we also all have all been hurt by such people. Or maybe the situation that we are thinking of is, yeah, Chris, yep. There's a very, very painful situation in my background. And I hurt that person in anger. I hurt that person but they also hurt me. They also really hurt me so much so I can hardly tell that story. Yup. I get that. But this text is calling us that we still need to do our part. Mm. I, I can't make that other person like come to you. You can't make that other person come to you and seek in humility and repentance to come to you and say sorry and try to make it right. I, you, you can't, you're not in control of that other person. But you are in control of you. And you can do your part. And you can go to that person. And you can seek as far as possible, as far as it depends on you, to be reconciled with that person. As far as it depends on you, you live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, be reconciled to that other person. 
And who knows? Who knows what God might do? If you, in the nudge of obedience, and you go to that person, who knows what God might do in their heart? Maybe nothing. But it might just set off um, grace, a river of grace into the situation. At any rate, we need to do our part. So I'm going to ask you to take a very good hard look at yourself, at your life lived thus far, and examine it. Be brutally honest with yourself. Have you, in ungodly anger or contempt or disdain, hurt anyone with their, your words or your actions? You may need to ask the Lord to open your heart and open your eyes. I certainly don't believe Jesus was joking when he warned of judgment. I earnestly ask you not to write him off as if he's just overstating things or didn't really mean it. And I'm earnestly asking you not to examine yourself flippantly with too light of a self-evaluation. Fifth. Mm. About six. Mm. Hang in there. Next, there are, this is a very specific type of anger that we're talking about this morning. Hateful, enmity, proud disdain, and spite for another person. There's other types of anger. Uh, we're not talking about righteous anger this morning. There's a place for that. Righteous anger is a real thing. Anger we rightly feel when someone doesn't meet a legitimate expectation. God's expectation. Not all anger is bad. Anger is neutral. It's what we do with it, right? It's what kind of anger it is. Anger is a natural emotion that signals that an expectation has not been met and is a signal that something needs to change. But we have to weigh our expectation against God's word to see if our expectation is a legitimate, godly expectation and our anger is justified, or if it's a selfish, sinful expectation and our expectation is unjustified. It may be that our expectation is the thing that needs to change. We're all fallen sinners, and our angry feelings can deceive us. We must, we must take care. And when anger does come up, of course, we want to nip it in the bud as soon as possible. We're not, we're, not, we're not meant to let that simmer. When we let it simmer, that's when it gets us into a lot of trouble. Anger, even if it's righteous, is meant to lead us to a, ri a wise, right, loving, and healing next step. Six, finally. There's still opportunity for forgiveness and to make things right. Today is the day of salvation. The day of judgment is promised when all of us will have to give an account before the Lord for every careless word that we've spoken. Matthew 12. 
But that's still on the horizon, and that day has not yet arrived. That's great news. Because that means there's still time to get it right. There's still time to go to that person and be reconciled. There's still time to go and get with your adversary and mend, mend the fence to receive forgiveness, to give forgiveness, and to be reconciled to your fellow image bearer. If, in fact, an actual, specific, real instance has occurred in your life and it has been brought to mind this morning, I would ask you, I would plead with you, don't delay. I would pick up that phone today. I would find that person today. I would set that thing in motion today. I would not wait until tomorrow. You know how tomorrows work. Life gets busy. Gotta walk the dog, repair the car, take out the trash. And that thing continues to sit and to infect and infest and destroy relationship and destroy community and destroy you. I pray you grace to move in the direction of reconciliation today. Dennis, do we have prayer team this morning? We do. As we conclude, as I conclude my message, just want to call up the prayer team. Maybe you need to pray for somebody that has something going on that you know of that they need to get right. Maybe you're, maybe you're, maybe the, maybe the anger's not yours. But you know of a situation, maybe it's between your children, or maybe it's between your two brothers, or maybe it's between your employer and another employee. Maybe you're aware of a situation that needs prayer and intercession. I invite you to come to intercede on behalf of that situation. Or maybe you're the one that needs help. Maybe you're really stuck. Maybe you're really stuck and you've been simmering for years against somebody for what they've done to you. Or maybe you need forgiveness. Maybe you're the one that's done something and you really did do something and you really caused pain and that thing sits unresolved. I also invite you to Come up for prayer. So whatever your, whatever your situation is there, it's not to out yourself. It's just to come and get unstuck if you want that prayer. It's to come to intercede for that situation that you know of. Anger destroys. Destroys people. We don't want to be those type of people anymore. Maybe. Uh, are there discernment seats, Jack? Are we... Jack, are you here? Okay. 
Gary and Ruth, can I put you on the spot? Could I ask you to come up front for discernment? There may have been something that I said in the sermon that, or didn't say in the sermon, that was missed. And you want to, you feel like the Lord is saying, I want you to share that. So the discernment seats up front are two people who come and listen to what you have to share with the rest of the body. They just test it, make sure it's going to be okay for you to share that with the rest of us. And then you have the opportunity to share a fuller word uh, with the rest of the body. Maybe there's something I missed. Maybe there's something I um, overlooked. Maybe there's something I didn't emphasize. Maybe there's something as a fresh word as well for us. And so Gary and Ruth are here for you as well so that you can share that word with us. Max, how many songs do we have? We have one song. So as this song prays, please pray. Please seek the Lord. Let me pray for us, actually. Father, we come before you, and this is a hard word. Mama told me there'd be days like this if I'd come to church and hear a hard word. Lord, do your deep work of grace in us. Do your deep work of healing in us. Do your, do your deep work of life transformation in us. Bring healing to hearts. May this, may this hard text this morning be a means of grace in our lives to unstuck us, to unstick us. Maybe we've been stuck for years. Lord, would you bring about a work of grace that makes us more like Jesus? May you root out of us this kind of anger and help us to become your people who are perfect as you are perfect. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm.